Hello. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Oh, that's loud. Is that too loud? Is um oh, is that better? I'll try not to shout. <laughs> All right. All right. So good morning, everybody. I have been really greatly challenged the last few weeks. Um, I'm part of a morning Bible study where we, um, a lady just puts out, we, we go through the books of the Bible and um, we just take a scripture each day and, you know, we can comment or, um, you know, we just share thoughts and ideas about that scripture and oh, probably about a month ago now, um, um, this lady put out a scripture and the word contentment was in there and this word just, it wouldn't leave me and um, just, I just kept getting these nudges and niggles and I thought, okay, God, this, you're wanting me to think about this, you know, and maybe this is something you want me to share and um, so as I was just, you know, really getting into just, you know, learning and uh, meditating on this particular topic, um, I found that, you know, the, the most incredible um, scripture um, in the Bible, and it follows basically on from where Swelly left off last week. So, effectively, Swelly and I are tag teaming. So, last week, Shelley, um, Swelly shared the amazing story of Paul and Silas. So, Paul originally was a Pharisee, a religious leader who was on a mission to completely destroy Jesus. You know, and then he had this incredible encounter with God, and he became one of the bravest, most credible witnesses and loyal advocates of spreading the gospel message of anyone of that time, I reckon. You know, nothing would deter Paul. He was so determined. Not even death threats or imprisonment would, would um, you know, set him off track. And so the, the story that we heard um, last week about the prison took place in Paul's second missionary trip through Asia and Europe, and it was about 49 AD, so 49 years after Christ had died. And God had given Paul, he was in Asia at the time, and he gave him a vision of a man begging him to go and spread the gospel in Macedonia. So Paul just basically got on the next ship, got out of where he was, and he traveled to um, the city of Philippi, which is in Macedonia. Um, now, at the time, this um, country was you know, a very influential and important city in the province of Rome, and um, today it's part of modern-day Greece. So just a quick recap on the story that Swelly told. So Paul had come to this city and he was getting rather upset and annoyed with a, a lady that was um, constantly in his ear and she had a demon spirit. And Paul drove out this demon, um, which greatly upset the people that she was working for because she was a fortune teller. And she was making a lot of money for them. So without trial, Paul and Silas, they were beaten, they were flogged and they were thrown into prison. Now at this point, all could have seemed very hopeless, yet the most amazing miracle happened. Paul and Silas were singing songs of praise to God and suddenly a violent earthquake shook that place and their chains broke free. And not just their chains, but all the chains of all the other prisoners that were there. Just about as the jailer was about to kill himself, because at the time he, he would have known that he would have been in a lot of trouble for prisoners escaping and just as, about, as he was about to end his life, Paul shouted out, it's okay, we're all here. And that day, the jailer and his family were all saved. It's an amazing story, and Swelly unpacked it last week really beautifully. So if you haven't heard it, go online and have a listen. Days prior to that, Paul had, had um, converted Lydia, who was um, a lovely lady in that, also in that town. She was a rich lady, and we know that, but she was wearing purple robes. 
and she became a great friend of Paul's. She was actually his first convert through this mission um, in Europe. So Paul was developing some really beautiful relationships with the people in Philippi. He planted the church there. He, um, he basically discipled them and while he was continuing to draw people in and spread the message of the gospel. He was so, um, he, he loved them, he was dedicated to them, and so when he actually left that place, um, they continued to support him on his journey, and they, they wrote letters of encouragement, they provided for him financially, which was significant, you know, because it sustained him physically, but I think more importantly, because Paul knew that he didn't need their, their sustenance, he knew who his source of provision came from, but I think mentally and emotionally it was a really significant thing. So today we're going to examine some of the scripture that follows on maybe about 10 years after this event. Paul writes to these beautiful friends in Philippi that he developed these relationships with. And it was written at a time of really great suffering. Throughout Paul's journeys, he had been whipped, he had been flogged, he had been beaten, he had been stoned and nearly left for dead, he had been left with no food and water for a matter of days, He'd been in prison multiple other times. So he had been through the most unbelievable of circumstances. And it was at this time his friends in Philippi were really worried about him, you know, worried about how he was going to cope. So Paul writes a letter to encourage them. And in this letter, it just absolutely blows my mind. So it's in Philippians 4, 10 to 13. So how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned about me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, whether plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I've thought about this passage many times, and, you know, often we'll meditate on, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me, you know, but it's often in the context of, right, I can climb that mountain, or, you know, I can go for that new job, and I know that I'm capable, you know, or, or I can um, do, you know, something amazing. Maybe I can, you know, achieve something or win something, or I can do something, or I can help someone. Um, you know, it's often on the back of those things, but, you know, Paul wrote this on the back of, being imprisoned, being starving, being empty, being lonely, being persecuted, you know, to the nth degree. So I think to myself, how, how, did he be, how was he contented through all those circumstances? And I think, you know, we live in a very discontented world, and I think we have a lot that we can learn from this passage and the context and the background of why this was. Why was it Paul was so able to be so contented in such circumstances? He was sufficient, he had peace, and he was able to be content regardless of his circumstances. And he pressed on in his purpose despite whatever that may look like coming next. Now contentment is not something we're born with. We're actually born, most of the time, screaming our lungs out. So Paul had to learn the art of being contented. You know, it's not a feeling. It's like forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. Um, in the same way, contentment is a choice. And so we're going to unpack how he learned to do this. Do you know there's discontentment that lays in the heart of every human being? 
It's like this vacuum that's sucked empty by all the worldly things that don't satisfy us. As a society and culture, we're always wanting for more. No matter what we acquire, it never seems to be enough. So for some people, discontentment stems from wanting riches, but sadly, we learn that they don't satisfy us. For some, it comes from broken relationships, a need for people approval, a need to be loved by other broken and discontented people. For some, discontentment comes from the highs and lows of life. You know, a few examples of those sorts of highs and lows are people who experiment in drugs, alcohol, sex, ex maybe extreme sports, gambling, fame, wins, awards, achievements. You know, if you're, if you're so highly driven that you want success, it's wonderful when you get it, but what happens when you don't? They're all short-term pleasures that give a dopamine thrill at the time, but they, t they depend on the continual consumption of getting those things to be happy if there's nothing deeper within, within you. And I believe that's why we hear of so many famous people that end their life. It's so tragic to hear of talented, beautiful, amazing people that take their life. I wonder if they reach those lows and are just empty and void. I think at a broad level, there's also a core difference between men and women in seeking contentment from the world. Men look for things that boost their ego. Women look for security and safety. But with all these issues, Suicidal thoughts or actions is the long-term solution or consequence for feelings of really deep discontentment. And suicide is on the rise. You know, recently, Swelly mentioned that, you know, last week that we had the um, AquaSurf hosted an awareness night um, aimed at just supporting the surf community. And Swelly and Dewey were so grieved to hear of these men just so lost in their pursuit of contentment. Because the thrill of the surf, you know, the thing that gave them that pleasure, that thrill, basically was, you know, they were either too old for it or they were injured or maybe they still surfed, but the struggle of balancing the thrill versus just everyday life, the responsibility of that became a struggle. So the world is searching for a con this contentment in all the wrong places. The void we can experience can only be filled know by knowing and having a relationship with God. You know, our bodies were physically designed to have this relationship with God, and without it, there's something very missing. So interacting with the Holy Spirit is a choice that we have to make on a daily basis. Do we fill that void by developing a trusting relationship with Him, or do we feel empty and distant as we turn away? Jesus says in John 6:35. It says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Paul learned to be content in all his circumstances, in the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, because it was God who sustained him through them all. In 2 Corinthians 12 and 10, it says, For the sake of Christ, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships and persecutions, for when I am weak, I am strong. So it wasn't positive thinking that Paul had. It wasn't, you know, chasing the approval of people. It wasn't changes in wonderful circumstances. It was his contentment was in the deep-rooted knowledge that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. If we can learn, church, to be contented in all our circumstances, 
will experience great freedom. And I think Paul in chains was more free than many of us are without. Paul learned that there's an inner sense of peace that comes from being right with God. You know, knowing that he is in control of everything that happens to us. So we need to focus more on God and his kingdom than we do on material things, pleasing people, money, and gaining short-term pleasures from, you know, life's experiences. When Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he knew that they had this sinful problem of valuing created things more than the creator himself. So are we the same? Do we find our identity in the world, in what people think of us, in our status, our possessions, or do we strive for experiences to fill the void? Do you know that discontentment with our circumstances is ultimately discontentment with God himself? Because complaining is a sin. And we're saying to God, I'm not satisfied with my life, the one that you gave to me. You know, the Israelites learned the very hard way that constant discontentment led to, you know, terrible consequences. So if you think about this, if you think there's 365 days in a year, how many of those days would you say you felt full of zeal? And how many of those days you said you, you would sway more on the moody and grumpy end of the scale? Just a little exercise, just to try and get us thinking about where we sit with all these things. A day when you feel down or discouraged is a miser miserable day. We have to learn to fight that and uncover the roots to our problems. You know, the devil wants to steal your, your joy because joy is a fruit of the spirit. The enemy will find all kinds of ways to steal it. And feeding a weakness or a root cause that's in us is a tactic of the enemy to get us and to keep us miserable. So let's just have a look at a few of those roots. Number one, the love of money. The Bible talks about the love of money being the root of all evil. Desiring money, riches, or even bigger, better lifestyles can lead to a sense of dissatisfaction and discontentment. In Ecclesiastes 5 and 10, it says, those who have a love for money will never have enough. Do you hear that people that win the lottery are often very, very unhappy, discontented people many years later? They've lost it all, and it's actually, instead of you know, this ex amazing experience, it's become the worst thing that, that's ever happened to them. I've heard stories of that over and over again. People who've, who have huge houses on the waterfront, you know, with lots of land to store their boats and their cars and their toys and all their other gadgets. You know, they've accumulated all these things on their great salaries, but often end up stressed because they can't afford to maintain them, keep them. You know, you've got to pay lots of money to insure all these things. Make sure they don't get rusty or break down. You've got to worry about whether people are going to steal them. And then you've got to worry about keeping up with the Joneses next door. Do you know there's, there's actually a study, a psychological study that's done that shows that the more money you earn, the more chance you have of getting insomnia. Now that doesn't surprise me at all, and even the Bible, it warns you, it warns us about this. In Ecclesiastes 5 and 12, it says, people who work hard sleep well whether they've had little or much to drink, um, to eat, sorry. But the rich, they seldom get a good night's sleep. When Paul writes to Timothy, he instructs him to encourage the church that contentment is in Jesus. And our capacity is through him and far more than any riches that you'll ever get on earth. In 1 Timothy 6, 
6 to 10. And it says this. Yet true godliness with contentment is in itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So contentment. I believe if we understand this passage, we will know that it doesn't come from adding to what you have, but maybe just from subtracting what you desire. Doing this... It enables you to, have, um, to just be content with what God's given you. How much has he given us? So much. Contentment in God doesn't mean that you don't ever want for anything. That's okay. Like We can want for things, and God wants to bless us with lovely things in our lives. And he also wants to give us amazing opportunities to strive. The problem is you can't lust after it. If you can't be happy without it, you're not ready for it. Contentment is just being happy in the waiting, knowing that he's working your life, trusting that he's going to do something amazing in you. Number two, unresolved sin. And of course, these, these things I'm talking about here, they're just examples. There'll be many more. I've just picked out a few things. So unresolved sin. Sometimes I believe that the way we feel today is a result of what we did yesterday. If we had lunch with a friend and gossiped, or we were bitter towards someone, or we held, withheld generosity because of greed, I believe the following day there's some discontentment that's brewed in us if we've not repented of that sin. You know, I believe our actions and our deeds have an effect on our mood. Because God doesn't want us to act that way. He wants, us, he wants his peace to be in us. So maybe our grumpy or discontented mood is a niggling in our soul that God is using to clean out our hearts. If you eat something that's bad for you, your tummy just goes, ugh. And I believe if you do something wrong, your spirit just goes, ugh. And we feel discontented. We shouldn't be afraid to face, church, the things that God is showing us. I believe God will deepen our faith and teach us some lessons about our need for him. Number three, discontentment in relationships. Contentment helps us to love others for who they are, It's impossible to truly love others until we accept his love for us. So if you're discontent in your relationships, maybe it will be good to be contented in who you are first. Now, I know that there is some very impossible people out there, frustrating and just really quite annoying, um, and Christians are probably up there with the best of them. But at the end of the day, people should not be the cause of your discontentment in life. If you are, You have some self-stuff to figure out first with God. People are so broken and out of their own bitterness, don't let the devil play them to crush who you are. Now, when Meg has an argument with her siblings and they upset her or wind her up, I say to her, if you're sad, they've won. Sometimes she comes up to me and she whispers in my ear and she says, Mommy, I've won. (laughs) Hmm, yeah. So if we know who we are and we understand the things we've discussed, let's just finish with a few practical examples of how we can maintain contentment and stay right with God. 
Number one, let's be grateful. Gratitude is the attitude that our heart needs to be in. Praise caused a mighty miracle for Paul, and it can for you too. Take, number two, take care of your attitude when you have when and then thinking. When I finish my exams, then I'll be happy. Oh, not quite there yet, God. Maybe when I get a boyfriend, I'll be happy. Mm, they're kind of annoying me some days. Maybe when we get married, I'll just feel more settled. Maybe when I have kids, I'll be happy. Well, they drive you crazy. <laughs> maybe when I go on a great holiday. Maybe, maybe, maybe. When I get this, then I'll be happy. Let's break that habit. Let's break the habit of satisfying discontentment with acquiring stuff. Like, oh, yeah, that car's not really that cool. Maybe I'll buy another one. I don't really like my clothes anymore. I think I'll buy some more. Number four, don't compare yourself to others and don't covet what others have. One of the most like difficult things we can contend with in life is comparing ourselves to others. And the Bible is very clear about not coveting what others have. Be who you are yourself. God has created you, amazing creation. Number five, be happy with what you have and who you are in Christ. And number six, last one, clean out your heart to stop unresolved sin, leaving you feeling discontented. Now, I'm not deluded in thinking that circumstances can't give you contentment and pleasure. You know, our circumstances can bring amazing joy. But what I'm saying is that they are only short-lived without God inside of us. Contentment needs to come from very deep within, filling that void by Jesus alone. And when he enters into us, he sustains us through every high and every low. It doesn't mean that we'll always be strong. We may be in our own chains, we may be in distress or despair, but when we choose Christ in those circumstances, when we depend on him, that's when our weakness becomes strength. We gain his perfect strength. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, it says, when God enters into us, he regenerates us into a new creation in Christ. So guys, just, I just want to challenge you this morning to just have a think about, you know, some of these things? Are there aspects of it that affect you in your life? You know, I think that as Christians, if we can't show the joy of the Lord, the joy of our salvation, how will the world see him? Yeah? So let's not be grumpy Christians. Let's not be people walking around not sure of who we are. Let's be people that know who we are, that have a deep, sense of contentment and joy in our hearts that we can then be free to go and spread that with others. So let me pray for you this morning. Lord, I pray that this message will just sink deep inside of us this morning. I, feel, I, I pray that it will fill us with a sense of your peace so that we may be full and content no matter what our circumstances, whether we are full or empty, whether we are weak or strong. May your power and your strength work mightily in us, Lord, to endure through everything that we go through. Father, you are the Lord of our life, and we acknowledge that without you are we are weak. Lord, we are sorry for striving for riches, for the approval of man. You know, we see now that eyes open wide that you alone are the source of a deep contentment in us, a deep peace that surpasses all understanding. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what our circumstances, you will stay, sustain us until the day we come home to you in heaven. 
We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for the hope of heaven. And Lord, we thank you for the amazing security we have. Let us be people, Lord, that just share your joy, share your peace with this world that is so discontented, discontented, so broken, Lord. Let us be people that bring just such a sense of you know, vitality, joy, all the fruit of the Spirit, Lord. Let us be people who just abundantly share with generosity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello. There I am. Thanks so much, Kath. Amazing word. Thank you. Um, I learned so much from you. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, what an amazing concept, really, isn't it? It's amazing, I think, when you think about these real basic concepts, when we actually try to put them into practice, yeah. So th let us all be people that dwell on that this week. Let us be contented people. Let's enjoy a song. Thank you very much.